have Justin's wife, Fallon, singing with us today as well. So pretty cool. Uh, so welcome to all you guys. Uh, it's great. Hey, but we are pumped to get into this, this next series, this series uh, as we look into the book of Galatians. So we're looking into this whole letter that was written to these people that lived in this spot called Galatia. And uh, I am excited because the whole story of this, the whole point of it is that it is a gospel of freedom. It is a message of freedom found in Jesus Christ. And that's what this is all about. It's about news, that we have news to share. News not from the mainstream media or some blogger or some political site on whatever end of the spectrum in our crazy world of news today. But we have news that's actually from God. News from God that is good news for us. So we're going to look into it, see what's happening. We have this message literally from God for us that we just like remind ourselves of that. We have a message from God to share today. So grab your Bibles. Turn to the book of Galatians, okay? New Testament, right side, far right side of your Bible, after Corinthians, before Ephesians. Grab it, turn there. We're going to be looking into Galatians 1, 1 through 5 today. And then we'll be hanging out in this book for these next couple months. Um, And so I just want to start into it and read it. And we're going to look into it. And what does this have to say for us? What is the news? It starts off simply. It says, Paul. It's the guy that wrote it. Paul, an apostle. Now this guy Paul, he is a good Jewish man. He has been a great leader, part of the religious leaders, the Pharisees. So he is, actually his name was Saul, and he's named after the first king of Israel. So he's just, you know, he is this good Jewish man living all the right ways that they're supposed to live. Even to the point that his life was not just leading people in what it means to be a good Jewish person, but persecuting this new thing of these Christians, these followers of this thing called the way. And so he's going and actually killing and persecuting these Christians. He's on his way to do some of it, and he just gets struck with this great light, and it's actually Jesus appearing to him, revealing himself to him. It's this crazy experience that he has with God where his whole life is changed, and even his name then gets changed to Paul. And he is Paul, this apostle now, as he has been trained by Christ. He is an apostle, which means sent out, sent one. And he even describes what that means as he keeps going in the passage. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man. He says, hey, I'm not part of the institution. I'm not part of all of this. I am part of something new. I'm being sent from God, he says. So not sent from man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Okay, so it's this guy Paul. He is writing, sent from Jesus to the churches in Galatia. Now I want us to see, what are we talking about? Okay, what in the heck is Galatia, right? So you've got this map of this whole uh, region of the Mediterranean. You have Greece here. You've got Ephesus here. We had this whole series on Ephesians we talked about last year. So Ephesus is here. Way down here is Jerusalem. So this is Israel, this area. And then this place right here, where it says Galatia right here, this is a whole region called Galatia. Now that's a province or an area. It's not a city. Okay? Whereas Ephesians, Ephesus, is a city. 
Uh, so this whole area here, these are some of the cities that are in Galatia. Iconium, Lystra, Derby. So as you read your Bible, you'll read some of these names of cities. And you might even have just sort of read over them and not know what in the world that means or where these are. But when you read those cities in the book of Acts or other places, that's the place called Galatia. Okay, so that's who he's writing to, these people, uh, the Galatians. And it says to the churches in Galatia. Okay, so it's to a bunch of different churches. It's like a, it's a letter that's going around and being read out loud at all these different churches in these different cities in this place called Galatia. All right, so what does he actually have to say to them then? Verses 3 through 5. He says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right away here, he's, he's saying, look, this is grace and peace I want to give to you. I want you to understand grace that we recognize comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. And it is peace, this shalom thing, this wholeness, completeness, this life that is fully connected to the Father God. This life, this peace can only be found from the grace that only can be found in Jesus. Okay, so he's saying here, grace and peace is for you. And it's from Jesus who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. So we've been singing, we've been worshiping, we say glory to God. We give God glory because he is worthy of it. He deserves us to give him glory as Paul is even saying here. So what is all this stuff? Like, what is he talking about here in those few verses? And I want us to get into it. We're going to talk about it through three things. Bad news, fake news, and good news. Okay? We've got some bad news, some fake news, kind of like today, and some good news. All right? So that's what we're looking at. So first of all, we've got the bad news. The bad news is that the present age is evil. Paul's saying that about back then. The present age is evil, and we're all part of it. We're all in it. We all are part of this evil age. That's just where he says in verse 4, just this present evil age. And so for us to understand some of the bad news in the present evil age, I want us to get to understand a little bit, okay, what was Galatia like in the first century? Now, we've talked a little bit about what... uh, you know, kind of life was like in this, this whole area that is ruled by Rome. We've talked about this. This whole part of the world, this whole sort of known world of that time that they would call these people writing, was all under this rule of Rome. And Rome has conquered all of it. Rome rules over all of it. But not just in this military sense, right? We've talked about this. But in this sense of influence. And so people who are Christians who are now these brand new Christians, they're trying to live out this this whole thing. They're trying to live out their faith under this Roman rule and influence. And now that could include things like uh, the emperor of Rome says he's God. He is a God and he must be worshipped. So you have to live in a world where they say worship the emperor as God. You have to live in a world where if you have a, a trade or a business... If you want to be part of one of these trade guilds, you have to then uh, make sacrifices and offerings to the the Greek, Roman mythological gods that that are represented in each of those trades. 
if you want to go like, have a business networking meeting, you probably are having to go to this sort of sexual orgy-like experience. And you have to be uh, also at that time drinking wine out of these giant bowls where they would drink so much that they would have other bowls that they would be able to vomit into. So then they could just get another bowl and drink more and more. And that was business networking. Okay, so it's a crazy different sort of world that they're living in. Sometimes as weird as we think our world is, this is just pretty, pretty intense. If you wanted to go, you, know, you needed to go to the doctor, you would go to the doctor at the temple of Asclepius, this Greek god of healing. And so as you make offerings to this Greek god, the doctors then come in and heal you, you know, and do the work. And then you have to attribute that work to the Greek god Asclepius. That's like some of the world that they're living in in this spot. But they're also uh, living, you know, these people are, are being talked to about, about Jesus by Jewish people. Now, this is a picture of kind of recreation of the, the temple in Jerusalem. And this, this all was written around 50 AD, okay, 50 AD. So think about 20 years after Jesus is resurrected and gone back up into heaven and all that, right? The ascension. And then about 20 years before this temple gets destroyed during this Jewish revolt by the Romans, this temple gets destroyed. So it's still in this time where you've got all the sacrifices being made at the temple and all the stuff that would happen in this temple worship. That's all happening still. So they're, they're kind of caught in between these worlds, right? You've got all of these Jewish practices on this side, and then you've got all the Roman influence on the other side. And they're right there in that little land in between, and they, they, they're kind of being pulled back and forth. And we'll, we'll talk about more of that as well. But that's this whole series as we go through all of Galatians. That's the setting that you have to put your mind in, and that's what they're in, is, is a setting like that. But for us to understand the present evil age, we also have to think about, for us, what is our present evil age? Because we do, as much as some of this other stuff was crazy that we, re, that we think about with, you know, with what was happening in Roman culture, we also are in a, a crazy culture of our own. And you think about how, like, every lust is just at the tip of our fingers. That every hunger can be satisfied at the click of a button, seemingly. You know, that we live in a culture that's so um, secular. There's this book called uh, A Secular Age. It's this massive book. Or I actually read a commentary of this massive book by a, guy named, by a guy named Charles Taylor, this book. But he talks about our secular age that we are in today. And what he means by that, he has this term, is just that we are in a time that is exclusive humanism. Okay? We as people are completely self-sufficient. We can find everything that we need in and of ourselves. So not just logic and reason and kind of figuring out the world in that sort of post-enlightenment way, but it is it has got to the point where we think that even meaning and significance can be found within ourselves and from our minds. Okay? That that's like part of this age that we live in. Now what that that writer even though then talks about how that only can last for a time and then we end up with kind of this what he calls the malaise of meaninglessness that just eventually it just becomes like it becomes meaningless that there is a sort of a blah to it when we just only look within ourselves for everything. But it, it's this whole thing of kind of like the gods are dead. You know, that the supernatural is dead and that we can find everything we need within ourselves. That's the present evil age that we live in and that the only thing that is a sin, the only thing that's wrong is possibly hurting an innocent. Everything else goes. Anything else goes. God is dead. 
And so that's our present evil age in some way. But we have to also, in the midst of that, recognize that we're complicit. Okay? It's not just those people out there, right? We have our sin. We have our stuff that takes us away from God. Romans 3.23, it's the classic passage that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are part of the problem. Okay, we aren't innocent in all of this. And that's our, so that's our present evil age. Okay, so within the bad news, that's the bad news. Okay, well then what's next? Well, what happens next, the problem is, what happens next is fake news. Is that there's some fake news that comes and, you know, we've got this whole new term fake news or alternative facts or whatever it is in our culture today that has risen up. And it's sort of sad because I feel like, I remember even as a kid when I was a, you know, just a determined member of the St. Clemente High School newspaper staff, I was excited about journalism, you know? And it's like, I, I just thought it was this great, like, you know, going against the power and it's going to be the, the bastion of truth and all that, you know? And I, I love that notion and I wish that it could be that, but it's kind of just gotten muddied and messed up. And what do we believe? What is truth out there? And it gets so messy. And now we see even problems happen then within the truth or the truth that we have to say from the church becomes hard to believe because nobody knows how to trust anything, right? And so there becomes fake news. Now, part of what we have to be able to answer, this is a question that we have to be able to answer, an equation, a very complicated equation we have to be able to answer, right? Jesus plus what and what equals salvation. I want you to think about that. How would you answer that? Jesus Plus what? We've got to put something here. Jesus plus what and what equals salvation? Consider right now. How would you answer that question? I'm going to give you the answer, okay? Super complex. Jesus plus nothing and still nothing equals salvation, okay? It's just Jesus. Jesus plus nothing and still nothing equals salvation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The answer is Jesus. But the fake news, the problem is that the fake news in the first century, and I would say even today, is that the fake news is that the solution to sin is to keep the law, to do good good works, to be a good person, to be moral, to, you know, to live according to this certain standard. The fake news is that living that kind of life, keeping the law, is what leads to salvation. Now here's what Paul says to the people in Galatia, a couple chapters later in our little letter. He gets on them. He says, are you so foolish? Are you so foolish? It's not a nice thing to say to somebody. Are you a fool? What's wrong with you? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's saying, look, you know that you were saved by the Spirit of God, the power of Christ, but now you're trying to become, like, perfected, sanctified. You're trying to become a better person through your own strength. The thing is, is they even are attributing it to salvation as well. And he calls them out in different parts of the text for that. And so it's this whole false gospel of works and behavior modification as a means to salvation. And what, what you had going on back in this time, it's that whole thing where I was saying how they're caught in between these worlds, like the world of Rome and the world of, uh, of Israel, right? And what you have happening is you have these people becoming Christians. Okay, so Paul, Barnabas, these others are going and they're sharing about Jesus in these cities in Galatia and all these other spots. And 
what's happening is you have these others, and uh, people call them Judaizers, there's an expression for it. They've come in and say, no, to be saved, you still have to be circumcised, and you have to keep all the Jewish dietary laws, and all of, like, all of those laws from Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all of that stuff. To be saved, you have to keep the law. You have to do all of that stuff to be saved. And so it becomes this this big argument and this big thing is happening. And you can actually read about it. What's kind of cool is you can see in the book of Acts some of the stuff that was happening in this time. Okay, so Acts 14 and 15 is a lot of, of, like a, of the story of what was happening behind the scenes around the time that uh, this letter to the Galatians was written. Actually, Acts 14, it talks about Paul and Barnabas, and they're going to these cities that were on that map. Iconium and Lystra and Derby and all these places. And they're going, he's like preaching the, the gospel in all these places. And people are coming to know Jesus. But then there's other people, there's these people that, the, the, of the Jewish faith that are getting mad because they're seeing their power being removed. And they actually, in one of these towns, Paul gets stoned to death, like what they think is to death. He has rocks thrown at him till they thought he was dead. So he had to at least be unconscious, and he's just messed up. And they take his body and throw it out of the city, and they think he's actually dead, but he wasn't quite dead yet. And they, they're able, like his friends come and get him. Okay, but I mean, to be preaching the gospel of Jesus till people throw rocks at you until they thought you were dead is a, I mean, that's just an atrocious, awful thing. It's so amazing. And then he just gets up after, he just gets up and just goes on his way and keeps preaching. You know, he's like, hey, I'm not stopping. And so he goes and he's preaching. And, and then in uh, chapter 15, it says this, 15.1, of Acts it says, some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So people are saying that you have to add a work to be saved. Now, so you, you got this whole argument, you got this whole thing where Paul and Barnabas are like, no, 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 there's no way, that's not true, you don't have to do that. And so these people say, hey, you should go up to Jerusalem and talk to the, the leaders of this, of the church, the big C church, the leaders of this thing called the way, it's led by James, and you've got this whole council. And so they go and they tell them the stories of all these people that are, these Gentiles that are getting saved, and then we're trying to tell them now that they've experienced the grace of God, but now we're trying to tell them, oh, now you need to have this burden of keeping the law and being circumcised and all this kind of stuff. And Paul's saying, no, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't place this burden on them. In verse 11, he says, because we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. And so the council then goes and thinks about it, and then they come back, and James says, you're right. You're right. We should not add to this. It is by grace that we are saved. Okay? And so then uh, it goes on. And you can read more. I encourage you to read all of that. Acts 14, 15 on your own to learn more about it as we go through this. We'll talk more about it. But there's this, this whole thing that we can do this as well. We can have this sense of adding you know, being a good person, we think we have to do something more to even to be saved. There was, you know, you think about Paul. Paul was this guy who was 
you know, the ultimate keeper of the law when he was named Saul, when he was that Pharisee. He was one of the best people at keeping the law. I mean, he was so passionate about it, and he knew the Word of God. He lived the Word of God. He was respected. He was honored. He was this upright, uh, noble person, and he fought for his faith. But he even recognized that it was about grace, that he needed to be rescued. He needed to be saved by Jesus, not himself. There's a pastor, a pastor in Kentucky. His name's Clay. This pastor, he graduated with honors, with a degree in religion. He went on to seminary and he studied, you know, he went on all that theological training. And then after that, he became the senior pastor of a church in Kentucky. And then uh, he was ordained by this large denomination and he was serving as this senior pastor. And he was also helping out with the youth group some here and there. And he went on one of the retreats with their youth group. And they actually did this thing where they went to Disney World. And it was this whole big thing where the kids would go to Disney World in the day. And then at night there'd be at the Orlando Convention Center. It'd be like, you know, worship and a speaker and all this kind of big stuff. And so he went and he was part of that. And it was while he was at that convention, that youth ministry convention, the senior pastor heard the speaker talking about the grace of Jesus Christ and the free gift of salvation and, and all of this that we're talking about. And he had this moment where he realized that he was not a Christian, where he had never placed his trust in Jesus Christ for salvation that he was just living this whole thing, doing the good works, being the good person, you know, being trained, going to seminary, being a pastor, doing all the right things, saying all the right things. But it was all just works. It was, there was no, there's there no actual moment of him surrendering to Jesus Christ and receiving that free gift of salvation. And so it was in that moment, surrounded by all these teenagers worshiping God, that he says was the moment that he actually became a Christian. And I think that that's in, in some way the story of Paul and the story of this pastor. It is something for us to hear as people that have maybe been part of a church for a long time. And maybe you've been just doing this because you're supposed to. Maybe you even grew up in it. You know, and you've just been coming here. You've been coming here. You're an adult and you've been coming here because your parents told you to when you were a kid, you know. And we have to recognize, are we doing this because we're just going through the motions? Or have we actually surrendered our lives to Jesus and entrusted our, like, our salvation to him and his power and his power alone? Because this was not just a heresy of this first century, you guys. This is something that creeps into our lives all the time. This thing of being this good person and really well-intentioned people can fall into it. But we have to remember that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? As we remember that, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's kind of like you have this, this pure glass of water, this beautiful, clean, pure glass of water. And you don't want to add anything to this. If you add a foreign element to it, you add something, it's like, almost like 
you could, you have this, this water, it's like even Jesus talks about mayim chayim. It's a, a Hebrew expression, Hebrew translation of living water. Jesus says, living water is what I give to you, not dead water. I give you living, fresh water that you will never thirst again if you drink of my water. Because if we add something then to that living water, it's almost like adding arsenic to this glass. You won't tell the difference. It'll still just look like water. But it's gone from water of life to water of death. We can't add to the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. And so we got to get out of the fake news. So we know we got bad news. we got to get rid of the fake news so that we can get to the good news. The good news is that Jesus rescues us. That Jesus is the one that saves us. That's what this passage is all about in Galatians. As he says, grace and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. That Jesus gave himself. When he died on that cross, he took the sins of the world, of you and I, upon himself. He was the substitute for us to be in that spot of death and destruction so that he might rescue us. That we would be rescued from this present evil age. That he has come to rescue you. And I love this word rescue. It's an awesome word that we have here in this passage because it really means so much. It's this Greek word exaireo and it's this word that means a a few different things in, in the way it can be expressed. But to take out, to select, it's even used in the passage where it says it's better to gouge out your eye than to let your eye lead you into sin and all of that. That's part of rescue or being delivered in some way. But in the tense it is in this passage, it means this. To rescue, to set free, to deliver. It's a beautiful word, to rescue, and it implies a lot of things. It implies, if you need to be rescued, it implies that you're helpless. It implies that you are lost. You can't save yourself, so therefore you need to be rescued. It's the word that uh, Stephen uses. There's this whole speech that this guy Stephen gives in the book of Acts before he's about to be actually killed for his beliefs. And he gives this amazing speech of the history of Israel. And in this speech, he talks about Joseph, who in the Old Testament, Joseph, he was thrown into a pit by his brothers. And he was thrown in this pit and he couldn't get himself out. And he had to be rescued and delivered from that pit. It's that same word used there to rescue him from a pit that he could not get out of. It's the same word that Stephen also uses about the the Israelites when they're in slavery in Egypt. And he says that God delivered them from the chains of slavery. That that's the same word here. They were rescued. That we are in chains of slavery to sin. And God delivers us. Jesus rescues us from that. It's the same word that's used when Peter is in jail and an angel comes and rescues him, it says. It's that same thing. We are delivered from chains, from bondage, from prison to our sin and to death, that Jesus is the only one that rescues us, and we cannot rescue ourselves. Rescue is a beautiful word, I think. We have to trust that Jesus is the one that rescues us. And that's what the good news is. The good news, the gospel. I don't know if you've ever had someone say, hey, can you just... Can you define the gospel? Like, what is the gospel? How would you define that? And there's a lot of different ways that we can define, you know, in fancy ways kind of what the gospel is. But here's what I would tell you. If someone says, what's the gospel? It's this. It's simple. It's one word. 
The gospel is Jesus. It's the good news of Jesus that we cannot be rescued of ourselves, that Jesus is the only one that can rescue us. So don't add anything to it. Don't turn it into fake news. Jesus is the one that rescues us. And he comes to be king, and he rescues us as that king. And then he wants us to live as part of his kingdom. Now we live under his rule and reign as part of his kingdom. And so that's why it says Jesus came to proclaim the gospel of his kingdom. And I want us to be able to understand that a little bit better. And so there's this awesome video that I want you to watch that really explains what is this about the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile. But a few remain in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger. And he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king. And that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. So when Christians say, do you believe the gospel they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. 
And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside-down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. So such a great just example of what the gospel is and just a great portrayal, but it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. That we are saved from, from death and destruction, separation from God. We are saved from that because of what Jesus has done. And that is this free gift that is offered by Jesus. He says, I want to give you this free gift of salvation. And I give it to you, you just need to receive it. And so if you are in this room this morning, I, I want you to consider where you're at with this. That if you are a person that needs to receive that gift of salvation, that maybe you've even been here for a long time. And maybe you're even doing really well. But you've kind of been doing it yourself, you know. You haven't received that gift. I want you to receive it today, that Jesus has this gift that he offers to you. Have, you'll have an opportunity for that today. Because we have to recognize, though, as well, that we aren't just saved by the gospel. We live by the gospel. Okay? We are saved by what Jesus has done. But we also live each day through the power of the Spirit and according to the work of Christ in our lives. Like we can't live any of these moments just of ourselves. And that's why Paul says you're foolish. You think you could have been you know, saved by the Spirit of God, but now you're going to do all this in your own flesh? Like, no way, you're going to fail. And so we need to remember, those of us that have been followers of this way for a while, that we need to live each day. We are continually being changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, it, it's hard. We get, you know, we, we tend to lean into what we know and understand. And we understand ourselves. We understand this whole thing of, of exclusive humanism and self-sufficiency. We understand that. And I struggle with it too. I, I even uh, just recently found... Uh, I was cleaning the garage and found this tub that had a bunch of old journals and kind of old keepsake kind of things in it. And uh, I, I just, you know, you waste like an hour when you're supposed to be cleaning the garage. You're sort of sitting and glancing through this stuff. And, and I remember I just sat down and I found a bunch of journals. And I'm not the world's best journaler, so it was like a, 
you know, 20 journals with the first 10 pages written in and the rest are blank. But uh, I don't, yeah, I think some of you probably can relate to that a little. But what I was finding, especially from these ones of when I was in college, I was just, I was really earnest. Like, I, I really wanted to live well for Christ. I wanted to do well. And I had, I think I had high standards for myself, but I also was just on this emotional roller coaster ride. And I remember reading in these journals, and when it was times when I was giving in to whatever kind of temptation or lust or something, or if I was uh, even for myself, I was really hard on myself if I wasn't reading my Bible every day, like a ton, you know, and I would just get really down on myself, and it would just be all of this kind of like, I'm so wretched, God, you are the only, you know, just these dramatic kind of writing whenever I was going, doing bad, and I just thought so poorly of myself, and I was just down. And then, on other parts, though, I would read where I was doing well. I was reading my Bible all the time, kind of strong in the disciplines, and I was resisting temptation and sharing my faith or whatever it was, and I feel like I would just get all puffed up, like, yeah, I got this, you know. I'm doing good. I know what I'm doing here. I'm going to be the world's best Christian leader someday because of, of this right now, you know. And, like, I would just get all of this. And I think both ends were totally my flesh because I was doing it all, like, the, I think the sin and the success— so to speak. I was doing all of that according to my own flesh, and I was finding who I was in those works rather than in Christ alone and being able to do any of that through the power of His Spirit. And like, I was just on this emotional roller coaster ride through some of those years and just seeing like how, how that affected me and how it was really, you know, the more I read it, it was really all about me. It wasn't as much about God. And there's a way that we can turn our lives into this way that it's, it's all about us, good or bad, rather than saying, Lord, it's all about you. And anything of this that I do, I do through you and your power. And that's what we want to get to, that recognition that we are saved by the gospel and we live by the gospel. We're saved by the work of the Spirit in our lives and we are living every day by the power of the Spirit in our lives. And we walk in step with the Spirit. So I want to encourage you today, if you are someone who has not received that gift of salvation, to receive it today, to not waste this moment. But I also want to challenge you, if you are a, a follower, a faithful follower of Christ, this good news, like it said in that video, is to be shared. If it's actually good news, we should be sharing that good news or else it's just sort of old news, right? Is it old news or is it good news? So I want to kind of stoke you up for a passion that we should be seeing people coming to know Jesus through us, through the Spirit's work in our lives as we go out and share that amazing good news with other people. That we would see even our church family growing because we're seeing people coming to know the Lord. That's why we want to grow is because we want to see people know Jesus. Not for any other reason than that, but we need to be challenged. We need to be challenged that are we just sitting and soaking up more and more for ourselves, or are we sharing this good news? And that's my challenge to you today. 
And, you know, if you, you, we want to offer help. We want to offer resources in that. So if you heard it on the announcements video too, but it was talking about this, like this class, Helping Others Discover Jesus. There's info in your bulletin about this. It's a class that starts next week, 9 o'clock. Like, if you need help with it, we want to help in all sorts of different contexts. We want to help you too to discover your purpose. There's a class called Discover Your Purpose coming up on Wednesdays in May where you can just discover how God is shaping and gifting you uniquely to be able to live that out and to see Christ's name be made great, to be made known in the world as you discover more of how he's created you. So these are just ways that, that we can help because we want to live this out. We want to continue to be changed by the gospel and then to love like Jesus across all cultures, across all generations. We want to reach Orange County in the world for Jesus Christ because it's good news because Jesus has rescued us and we remember that we've been rescued from a pit from chains from slavery to sin we got to remember and be reminded of how amazing that is and don't let it be old news but share it as this good news in your life that God spirit has changed you and we want to see others be transformed as well so that's our call today. That's what we're called to do, and we're called to respond to. So I, I just encourage you, we're going to now, we're going to worship for a little bit more through music. We'll have a chance to sing a couple more songs. We're going to have a chance to come and to receive communion, to remember what Christ has done, and this amazing thing as we, as we eat of the bread that represents his body, and as we drink from the cup that represents his blood. And it's this incredible moment that we have of communion with God and with one another as we do it. And we remember, and so that's what we want to share. And we have a chance to come and give of our offerings at the stations as well. But we also will have folks at these two prayer points. And we'd love for you to come forward to receive prayer about anything. But especially if you would like to receive the free gift of salvation that only comes from Jesus Christ. We'd love to pray with you and help you walk through that. So let's pray together and we're going to worship our mighty God. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are just amazed at your scriptures, your word, and the way that you reveal yourself and the truth of who you are to us. Thank you for this good news. This good news, this freedom that we have in you, that we are, we are released from the burden of trying to do all this ourselves. We could just let that go, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit right now will be working in each one of us to allow us to let that go. And to live each day through the power of your Spirit. I pray, Lord, for people in this room right now who could be feeling the tug of your spirit upon them, Lord, that you would give them the, the boldness from your spirit to walk forward and to come and to receive prayer, to begin to live this life of worship to you. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We say that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand and sing.